This is episode number 62. How do you stay hopeful in life with Brooke White? Welcome. My name is Oleg Loki, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in reaching your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming event, Where Do You Belong, in Austin, Texas, on June 15th. This is an event where you'll get a chance to hear from three speakers. Each one will be talking on a particular aspect of belonging, whether that's a relationship to yourself, the relationship that you have to your community. In addition to being able to hear their stories, you'll also get a chance to have breakout sessions with other attendees, a chance for you to explore a question or questions that you may not have found answers to just yet. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash where do you belong. Now, let's get back to our guest. Have you ever wondered what your life would be without hope? She said, The idea that scares me the most in life, that there is no hope for society, for the world, for our individual selves. Hope, a state of mind that helps some, if not most of us, get through life's toughest moments. Hope, a state of mind that gives us a reason to believe that our life will get better. Without further ado, please welcome Brooke White. Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Outs podcast. Today's guest is someone who I had the pleasure of meeting, I think, what is it, half a year, maybe a year ago. And her name is Brooke White. She's the director of evidence-based programming at an organization in Austin, Texas called LifeWorks. And so what I wanted to do is bring her onto the show and have her share as much of her experience and her journey with us as she can. And the question that I wanted to start off this interview with is, what scares you the most in life? So, Brooke, (laughs) I want you to take it away from here and take us as far in whichever direction that you envision um, with a question like that. Wow. Um, Yeah, you start off. Uh, pretty pretty quick there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think when you say that, the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, I think the biggest the thing that scares me the most is the idea that there's no hope, or that you know, if that somehow became true, that mm-hmm. or we learned that it was true that there was no hope for society, for our world, for our individual selves. I think that would be. A huge, a hugely terrifying um, perspective. I think everything else that is scary, which there are lots of things that could be scary in life, <laughs> but anything else, it feels, it feels manageable if there's hope, right? So I think to me, if we were suddenly to learn that there is no hope, mm-hmm. um, I would. That would be probably the scariest thing that could happen to me. <laughs> is um, there a moment in your life where that made sense to you and oh. kind of? You know, you realize that if I didn't have hope, yeah. then I wouldn't be able to get through this particular situation. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it comes up a lot in my work. 
I work with young people. I work with, I've worked with people struggling with addiction, um, you know, and definitely had situations in my family and in my own life that, you know, if there was, if there was no hope, then yeah, what, what are we doing? Uh-huh. Right. And I, again, I think in, in my work, I see a lot as like, how could we say the things that we say to young people, especially, but just to people in general about, um, you know, continue trying and, you know, all these things that we say, uh-huh. uh, if, if there is no hope, if there was no way that anything was going to be overcome. And so, um, you know, I, I think about it when I'm working with a youth who's experiencing homelessness or a staff member who's working with a youth who's experiencing homelessness mm-hmm. and is feeling uh, frustrated or challenged by that, um, because it is it's very difficult. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> it's a lonely place to be without something like that. Yeah, it's really hard. And so, um, you know, I think on a more personal level, the, you know, just even, like, making career choices, right? Like, if I believe that the world is, has no hope, mm-hmm. um, then I, I can't I can't come to work and do the stuff that I do. Like, yeah. I can't. I don't want to learn anything, right? Like, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't have any curiosity about anything. I, it would be, I would be a different person than who I am Yeah, if that was true. So. I was just listening to a book on the way here, um, Think and Grow Rich. Oh, okay. And the, uh, it's by Napoleon Hill. It's a phenomenal book, but it talks, it's all about personal development. And it takes you through different journeys of how you can essentially, like, manifest different visions and, you know, look at things differently as far as when it comes to your language, um, your inner dialogue. And one of the things is hope or having faith um, in something. It's, like, the biggest thing in helping you accomplish whatever goal you have in life. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that. And, you know, for me, it kind of takes me back to certain parts of my journey in my life Mm -hmm. where I remember it clicked for me as far as hope was the only option. Yeah. Like, when I got adopted... Yeah. Hope was the only way. It's because you don't see that other part of the world, mm-hmm. and you don't know. There's so much unknown yeah. that comes with it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so I I didn't really understand it. So the only thing I could do was hope. You mentioned a little bit about your family and your background. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific time? Maybe not a specific time, but is there a time that you can remember where that's all you had was just to hope that a better day would come or a situation would change in your life? I mean, I think definitely have, you know, had family members facing illness, mental illness, especially, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, people who are my caregivers at the time. And, you know, if you're, if things are going poorly enough for somebody or someone's struggling enough, it's, it is very much like, okay, all I can do is yeah. hope that this is going to be okay or that we're going to be safe and that we're going to have the things that we need. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like, as a young child, definitely thinking that way probably trained me yeah. <laughs> um, to continue to think that way as I got older. Um, you know, and I, I think, again, as an adult, I've taken on that belief, like as I've worn it as a part of who I am. So it's much easier to carry with me if it's like I've like it's like been knitted into the the person that I am um and the work that I try to try to do and so um I haven't I'm trying to think of like I don't know that I've had that sensation that feeling as an as an adult but that's only because of work Mm. that has happened when I was younger you know things that have happened in work that I've put in to Mm -hmm. to maintain to build and maintain that hope Mm -hmm. um it's not a free 
thing. <laughs> it mm -hmm. doesn't come free. Yeah. Um, it definitely comes with a lot of, you know, usually anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of thinking, a lot of overthinking, and a lot of, um, like, surrender, I guess. It's just, like, to be open to that. How do you maintain it going forward? Like, what do you tell yourself now on a daily basis mm -hmm. to carry on that hope? I don't know. I just, like, it doesn't even occur to me not to feel that way, I guess. Like, I, uh -huh. like, I don't. Just it's not an option. Of like it's not, are. yeah. Like it's not an option to mm -hmm. feel hopeless. Um, I think definitely in this time in our world and this time in our country, I've had glimmers <laughs> and moments. You can ask my husband. I've had moments where I've been like, "Oh God, like this might be." You know, like is it really? Is it going to get better? Is are there things that can happen? And the answer always is yes. Like mm -hmm. even if that lasts for a few minutes or a day, um, the answer is that. Yes, there's lots of people working really hard to do things really well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I know that, well, I mean, your viewers can't see me. I'm eight months pregnant. <laughs> like, we, I don't think we could um, make decisions about having a family without feeling that way. And so now it's like there's really no option to feel anything but hopeful because yeah. I, I don't think I could exist in a place where I felt like I was bringing you know, person into my family, into the world without, you know, promise and hope. hope yeah, like future. it just isn't yeah. a thing that I think I could, I could stand. And so mm -hmm. now there's no going back for <laughs> sure. Even on those days, there's no choice. So, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know, because you're in an interesting position as far as being able to offer certain guidance, um, to especially like the, the youth that you guys mm -hmm. serve through your organization. How do you break down, just like you said, a natural part of who you are, mm -hmm. and that is always hopeful, upbeat, positive, how do you break down those characters in maybe bite-sized pieces to some of the youth that you work with so they can see it and better understand, oh, this is what X, Y, and Z looks like, and this is how I can implement yeah. it within my life? Yeah, that's really and that's a very loaded question. A really hard question. Um, <laughs> Your whole think, career boils yeah, down to this one. Just answer. like this one thing. Um, I mean, I think. I, I mean, so I mean, for me, it's always about being super transparent with whether I'm working with a staff member or if I'm working with a youth. Um, you know, and and my transparency includes my like kind of owning that I know I'm like this eternal optimist that's like kind of annoying sometimes like I I hear myself and I'll I'll name it and be like this is really annoying optimist Brooke who like I know you're in this place right now you're thinking through this challenge um can I provide you know is it okay if I provide a perspective of something that I'm thinking about and just like mm. how I'm trying to conceptualize this, this challenge or this obstacle um and in that transparency also owning that like you can tell me that you don't want to hear it right now, mm -hmm. like that's okay. Um, and so I think when you have those conversations, you kind of exhibit that it is a choice because it is. Um, it is a choice to believe this, you know, feel this way or not. And that if you aren't feeling hopeful, that that's also a thousand percent okay. And like, I don't need you to feel hopeful to be, to be where you are and to exist in the world. Like you don't have to show or prove anything <laughs> to be here, you get to be here. Um, and I'm going to want to work with you and want to support you no matter what. And I think that's in my, when I talk to, I work a lot with staff now. I definitely have done a lot of client direct work, but when I work with staff now, I think about kind of how I tell them about authentic choice, like providing youth with authentic choice. 
So a lot of times when we're working with young people, we provide them with what I would call an authentic choice, mm-hmm. right? Which is like kind of painting them into a corner and being like, well, you didn't make the right choice. And you're like, yeah, but it's like there's really there was really just one decision the whole yeah. time, right? Um, but, you know, you have to be able to present that honestly. Um, and that is like that right now you don't have to feel this way. Um, and if you, you know, would like to explore this thought I'm having that's maybe more hopeful or maybe more mm-hmm. positive or whatever, you know, you want to say, um, I'm here to do that and, and really giving them that choice, which again, on the flip side of that, from the staff perspective, you have to be willing to sit there. If they say, no, I don't want to experience any hope right now. You have to say, okay, cool. Then what are we going ex- to, what are, what are we experiencing? What do mm-hmm. we need? Um, and to continue to provide that opportunity and that option whenever you see, like, I guess, um, you see like a door open for it, you mm-hmm. know, like, um, I think that that, that teaches a lot and that just is that modeling of like, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. It's not always fun even to be yeah. that optimistic, like yeah. a hopeful person. Um, and again, you get to exist in the world with or without that attitude, like, and you have the right to be cared for and loved and, you know, supported no matter what. Um, so it's amazing. One of the things that, you know, stood out to me the most when I had that conversation with you, I think it has been a year ago at least, and it was just your ability to be who you are Mm -hmm. and what you just mentioned in regard to having an authentic choice and just the fact that you you can make decisions um, and allow people to understand that there are options and this is not the only way to go with something. Are you able to take us through kind of your journey as far as how you were able to develop this sense of who you are. And because, you know, for me, and I'm sure a lot of the other people who are listening to this, there was a time in my life, for example, where I wore multiple masks. And, but that's just the way it had to be. In order to fit in with this group, you had to be this personality. Mm -hmm. In order to be with friends with this person, you had to do X, Y, and Z. And then after a while, for me, what happened was I kind of just said, that's enough. Mm-hmm. And there's no point of living that personality because that's mm-hmm. not who I am. Mm-hmm. And so it's better to kind of just start this journey of who you are. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, it does take a little bit longer to find your true friends and become part of a community where you do feel like you belong. Yeah. Is there a time in your life that you can recall kind of made sense to, okay, this is not the brook. This is not the future brook that I want to see. This is the brook that I want to live, yeah. and these are kind of the steps that I'm going to start taking. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with my own just journey in um, my own mental health and just, like, mm-hmm. my own wellness and realizing, you know, which a lot of that comes from things like trauma, right? And then a lot of it comes from genetics. I mean, just the things we all know yeah. um, that create, you know, a mental health or even like an identity crisis in some ways, but it's like, I think through, you know, my work, my professional work and my personal work, mm-hmm. um, definitely working with a therapist, but also professionally understanding as a therapist, like how do these processes serve me? How do, what am I benefiting from, you know, either this, this anxiety or, you know, whatever the situation was, which I think, I think all of the mental health challenges that I've struggled with have like really interplayed very like, they're very tightly connected. Uh-huh. Um, but just, like, learning about 
what it's, uh, for me, it's always about like, what is the serving? How is it serving me? Um, and how did it, how has it kept me safe? Like, how have I needed it? And how do I not need it right now or anymore? Um, and a big part of that, I think, is a couple things come to mind. One is just learning that I have a choice about boundaries. Like, I think for me to learn that, and you're, you're mentioning like, fit into this group of people or like to fit into this, you know, which again, if that serves you at the time and you need those people in order yes. to survive either emotionally or physically or whatever, like you do what you got to do, yeah. right? Like you just, <laughs> you work, yeah, Absolutely. you figure it out. Um, but as you, as you are able to get some distance, and I think as I was able to get some distance from some relationships in my life that were not healthy, um, you know, I got to learn that boundaries really are a choice. Like mm-hmm. I do have some power. Um, even in situations where I felt very powerless or felt like the power had been stripped from me. Um, a lot of that had to do with my dating relationships at the times. Like, it's probably my early 20s that I was, my boss always joke about, like, I think I was just kind of a disaster, <laughs> like, in my early 20s, like, I think back. And I was just making, I was making really poor choices, and I had, but I had no sense of, like, where I could put a boundary up. Like, mm-hmm. I knew what that concept was, but I had no practice, and I had no model in my life, honestly, at the time of someone doing that really well. Um, and I, I can't think of any, like, event that happened that I was like, I'm going to stop doing this in my dating relationships. Uh-huh. I'm sure it was just a culmination of lots of disasters. Um, and and I did that, and I really, like, took some time to kind of spend with myself. I took about two years before, without dating anybody. Um, and then that learned, like, oh, I do have a lot of options and a lot of opportunities and choices to set, mm-hmm. you know, various boundaries. And in that time, I did a lot of, like, my own personal work, but also grew professionally in a lot of ways. And again, the beauty of my work is that professional, as you advance professionally, you're growing individually, independently. Through other people. Um, as well. Through other people yeah. and through the experience of that. Um, because it is such a personal, it's such personal, intimate work that you're getting to do with other people that there's no way you don't, if you're doing it well, there's no way that you're not growing and like learning insights about yourself and about mm. how you process the world and how the world works for you and against you and all mm-hmm. of those things and how you can adjust your behavior. Um, and so I think all of that was happening. And, and then honestly, yeah, I think just like meeting, meeting my husband eventually and really realizing that he is a person who like boundaries, like he's just one of those people that like safety and boundaries. It's just like who he is. And he is just like super, um, and it's never been a question for him. Like, I know, I mean, not to say that he hasn't worked for his own, like, where he is in his own personal work, but, like, the idea of being unkind or manipulating someone or, like, you know, uh-huh. being in a structure where he's he was um, at all, like, combative or controlling, like, that's just never been part of his nature. Um, and so, honestly, I think I just realized, like, oh, I could I can be with somebody who is the most consistent, stable person I've ever met. (laughs) And, like, I could have that life if I wanted. Um, And that that life is, like, will change the way that people who are not healthy for me, like, interact with me. Like, that, Mm. those choices will affect me Mm -hmm. um, and affect those relationships. But that's okay. Um, I think that was, like, a long story. But that was, like, all of the kind of culmination of That led you to this point. Yeah. I think this is a perfect transition to the part of the conversation that I had started with you last time we yeah. met, and it was, you know, really just discussing how 
a subject like pregnancy, I, obviously mm-hmm. I don't have a direct <laughs> relationship with that. <laughs> but I, I've always been curious to learn about things, especially that I can't experience on my own. And in your particular case, how would you say something like that impacts your own definition of belonging? Yeah. And, you know, I, I could only imagine walking into certain places and, like, what are the thoughts that run through your mind? I mean, yeah. do, do people accept me? How do people look at me? Yeah. Or is that something that you've gained closure with and acceptance over time? Yeah. And if so, like, what are those thoughts like now? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is something that um, being, you know, being female and walking into a space is one thing. Mm-hmm. Being female and walking into a professional space is another thing. Mm. Being young and female and walking into a professional space, right? Like, so I had all these different experiences Layers. or iterations that I had experienced before. But there is something different about, like, being young and female and pregnant and walking into any space. Uh, people, <laughs> you know, again, professionally, there is definitely some implications about the way that I think people approach me and talk to me. Um, and in general, there's a lot of changes in the way people talk to me or approach me. Um, this came up just, I think, last week, actually. Uh, I had a colleague who, you know, wanted to have a conversation that it was not, like, particularly stressful. It was just, like, a misunderstanding and miscommunication that we uh-huh. had. Um, and they wanted to, to check in with me, but and they had been processing it a little bit with um, actually another colleague, and they said, you know, I I'm, I want to bring this up to Brooke, but she's pregnant. I don't I don't know how to I don't want to bring it up if she's like since because she's basically because I'm pregnant, like uh-huh. because I have this somehow um, you've lost a part of your human or element. yeah, but even not even that. I think it was a much more thoughtful intention that they mm-hmm. were having, which was that like I don't want to upset her or like you know like basic like this mm-hmm. idea of like delicacy kind of which. I'm not, I don't see myself as a delicate person. There's really nothing about pregnancy that's very delicate or <laughs> seems very delicate, like, from this end of it. Um, I know that's kind of a misperception, and, and my, my other colleague, you know, luckily challenged them and was like, no, she's, like, pretty much, the, she's the same person. Like, she's <laughs> just as excited, like, she's just as, you know, um, she values communication as much as she ever has she mm-hmm. she values being on the same page and she values this topic that that we had misaligned on is one that I'm very passionate about and would be you know and she was like she would be really upset to hear that you don't want to talk to her about like basically correct this thing mm-hmm. um because it would make your relationship so much better right and so um which is I'm super relational like that's what I always am driving towards and so luckily the first colleague did have the conversation with me and then they they like disclosed that they had had this like Mm -hmm. thought process and they're like oh my gosh I can't believe I even you know like I really got some stuff to think through like I can't believe I you know and I it was not just them like I know it happens all the time I think they were just brave enough to tell me and to say it and then to confront it in themselves and I it makes me think about that um and so yeah it, it is like you belong to this and I in the conversation I had with that colleague I was like I have a baby in my uterus or my house. It doesn't change, like, who I am. Like, that person is still, like, I hope, in fact, I'm, oh, my gosh, if it, you know, I'm, like, it would be terrifying to, to learn that I it did change who I am. I don't think it will change mm. my core, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it was just, it was just this really interesting moment for me. Um, but I honestly think about it often with the youth that we work with, and I think about it, um, it's really easy for people to see me as a, you know, 
educated white woman in her thirties mm-hmm. who is pregnant and they can make all kinds of assumptions about me. Um, and usually very positive assumptions and positive, um, judgments basically about mm-hmm. like who I am and what choices I've made. Um, whereas a lot of our young people that we work with don't have that opportunity or, you know, don't have that same, they're not given that same grace to be as, you know, like if they're pregnant, especially like a young female pregnant, um, a lot of assumptions are made about them that are much less kind and much less gracious, gracious, um, and, and no way more true, right? Like they could have made the exact same choices that I've made theoretically, right? Like, and, and often they have, like often, um, the young, you know, we work with young parents here and often they, they're really excited about growing their family. I mean, it's a very exciting time. Um, but the way that they're addressed and the way I'm addressed are very different. And I think about that a lot when I'm confronted in those spaces where people are overjoyed for me or, you know, like really like wanting to come in and talk to me about these things and, and knowing or hearing from some of those young women, um, or those young people, like their stories are, it's very upsetting. Um, it's really, you know, makes me think a lot about, um, the privilege that I have and how do I use it and how do I use that to educate others and talk about mm-hmm. like what judgments and assumptions are you making? Um, I've never really thought about the different layers that you just spoke of. I mean, A, you have the layer of just you walking into a, a setting as a female. Mm-hmm. Then you walk in as a female plus being pregnant. Yeah. Age, I mean, race, all of that, it all plays a role. How do you, and I, I, I don't know if you, maybe you're able to recall that throughout your journey. Mm-hmm. How did that change from like the first day when you were able to just walk into a place when you weren't pregnant and <laughs> yeah. the thought, and then all of a sudden you were pregnant. Like, do you remember some of the things that kind of, <laughs> some of the things that you might have had to become more cautious of yeah. as far as a certain assumptions that people would make about you? Yeah. And then how did that impact the way you did things? I mean, did you go through life? same exact way thinking <laughs> I could care less what anyone thinks <laughs> or did it impact you to a point yeah. where you started to think, well, I can't do this anymore mm. or I can't say this anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's very real. And I, you know, I talk about this with my friends a lot and definitely process it a lot is that there's very bizarre social norm about pregnancy where Mm -hmm. you don't tell anyone for the first three months that you're pregnant because of like this fear of miscarriage. Um, and then you would have to untell people essentially, right? Like, so if I, um, and so it's a super bizarre world where you have this thing that's probably one of the biggest things that will ever happen to you. And basically by just, um, because you're, because of where you are in that mm-hmm. life stage, you cannot share that, or not that you cannot, but that basically you choose not to. societal norms are that you do not share with mm-hmm. people. Um, and I actually, I actually did have a miscarriage about a year and a half ago, and in that experience, I was very protective of who I told, um, and very like felt very much a lot of shame about like, oh, I you know. I can't tell. Yeah, it was such a hard thing to describe. It's like, um, it's this, this huge, huge thing. And, and there's so much shame around miscarriage. It also happens to like 20 to 25% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. So oh, it's wow. like super common. Um, so basically, and this is where I think a lot of our more societal norms come in. Like there's this condition that's associated with womanhood mm-hmm. that has a potential outcome 
that we are not supposed to talk about. Mm. Um, but that that potential outcome is happening at a pretty high rate. <laughs> like not as, it's not, you know, but shame has been associated with that as if to believe that there's something that that person has done. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of, a lot of illness or a lot of disease, but I think especially things that affect, affect women. Um, and so I just, to go back to your original question of like being pregnant and then, you know, or not being pregnant and then being pregnant, uh -huh. um, I think I was like, I'm somebody who going back to the idea of like boundaries and setting my own boundaries. I am not somebody who like secret keeping, like I've done a lot of my own family work and like, I don't think that's okay. I don't thrive in a situation where someone's like, don't tell anybody this, like that does not feel good. And I like get very like sick to my stomach feeling. And I don't, I don't like secrets really for any reason. Uh -huh. Um, even like surprises like I'm just like no I would just rather tell you because I don't I want to be authentic I want to be honest um but I felt like I felt very much in my early trimester especially in this pregnancy after having a loss and still grappling with the emotions of the shame and the fear and the anxiety of like what if that happens again um but feeling very much like I was being told by society I had to keep the secret mm -hmm. until this magical day at 12 weeks where you can, then you can tell people, which also doesn't make a ton of sense to me. It's like, how, why is that? Why? You know, like, why is that magically going to happen one day? Yeah. Um, seems pretty arbitrary. Turns out it kind of is. But I, you know, I think there are, and, but also it's such a big change and there's so much curiosity and so much really cool things happening that's like, you know, you want to have, you have, I had a lot of questions and I had a lot of things that I was thinking about that I wanted to talk to people about that felt very like inhibited or like hindered, um, in sharing that. And so it was, it was very bizarre. And then again, one day magically you're pregnant enough where people are just like talking to you about it. And it all happens in this very short amount of time to so go from like, don't tell anyone to like now strangers get to like Ask come up and, and say want. whatever they want to you and like tell you whatever random story or like whatever random advice they want to completely unprompted. So going back to the boundaries, like I think it's just this very fascinating, like social experiment in boundaries is just to like look at the experience of a pregnant woman, like from uh -huh. start to beginning because they change almost date. Like those boundaries change constantly. Mm. Most of them are societally like imposed mm -hmm. by society and not necessarily a choice that, or doesn't necessarily feel like a choice to the person. There's so many questions that come <laughs> from that. They, the first thing that I have as you were talking through this is how do you deal with the shame yeah. and the guilt? I mean, do you just process it on your own for the, you said three months? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the fact that you can't. Yeah. Or I, I guess it's not necessarily that you can't because right. it does you go can. back to your yeah. choice. Right. It's, but it's just... You know, how do you deal with that? And then the second question that I had is, um, first time, you know, you, you spoke what happened to you, yeah. and then the second time, did anything change the second time? As far as, okay, you, you kind of learned from the first one. where Like, did I do things differently? Yeah, like maybe not talking to people actually yeah. did a lot more harm than good. So the second time around, I'm going to talk to people yeah. from day one. Yeah, and that was a big, and that is interesting, because I, I definitely thought about that a lot, and I don't know how quickly my actions changed. Um, I want to say that they did though. I, so the first piece about just kind of like dealing with shame and guilt and fear, mm -hmm. um, or even just fear that something bad's going to happen, which is like a thing that plagues everybody all the time. Right. right? Like that's the thing is that right. it's not unique 
to early pregnancy that you're yeah. afraid something's going to happen to your child. Because, like, that, I'm pretty sure, I'm still new to this game, but, like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's going to be constant forever. Mm -hmm. And so that is just one piece of it. But, I mean, you know, unlucky for me, I had... I had a partner, I have a partner who's super supportive and super, like, he was feeling a lot of the same things, and so I had somebody to share that with, um, and I could say, especially if it was, I was in a situation where I didn't feel like I could share that I was pregnant, but I, you know, maybe wanted to, I could, mm. like, tell those stories or, like, get that empathy from him or, like, you know, be like, I can never believe this thing that this person said or, you know, process whatever. I could process it, um, you know, but I think, I think we were both, um, the, in the first pregnancy, I know for me, I don't want to speak for him. For me, I was very, like, I feel like I was very naive at first. I was just, like, immediately having a lot of, like, I could imagine this child. And I was, like, very connected to this idea. Like, it was something we've been talking about for a long time. And, like, mm -hmm. it happened and we were so excited. And so really trying to, like, I was, I was in it. I was connected. It was, like, there was, in my brain, because I had never had that experience before, had no, I didn't know about this 20, 25%, right? Like I had no concept of that. Um, and I was just in this very like blissful place. And so to have this thing, this thing happen and just abruptly end, um, like 10 weeks in, which is a pretty late, you know, pretty late, not obviously nearly as late as it could be, but pretty late, a long time to be thinking about it. Right. Um, I think I was pretty like shocked. And so when we got pregnant this time, um, I think it took me some time to feel that same connection and that same belief that, like, oh, this is really happening. Um, if I had felt that, I feel like I probably would have brought more people into it sooner and to, to your second question about, mm -hmm. like, but I think because I just wasn't, I was still in an emotionally, like, pretty raw place that things were being brought back up and, like, trying to process through, um, that I, I, I don't think I would have, I, I was able to bring other people into it, um, if it had happened and more time had passed and maybe some of that emotionality wasn't there by that time mm -hmm. that I got pregnant, I probably would have done things very differently. Like you said, yeah. like would have told a lot more people early on. I would have been more, you know, upfront about it. Um, but it is, it was, it's a very, um, and yeah, it's not to judge anyone who's like making a different choice. Like I think as long as it's your choice and it's mm -hmm. not because someone you're feeling like a pressure from society. And I think that's, upon that's where I felt. And that's where I guess when I'm speaking from my experience, like I was feeling very like this is the way you're supposed to do this. So don't like you can't tell anybody or like, you know, and I think that was why I, what was my main driver, um, which is not like that doesn't that's not that doesn't help. That's not helpful for yeah. anybody that was and it wasn't. It didn't serve me super well. So. You talk about statistics and shame and all the things that come with it, and this might be a personal question, so don't cool. feel free yeah. to, you know, <laughs> not to answer it, but is there a specific, was there a topic that really concerned you that you didn't feel comfortable discussing with mm -hmm. other people during those three months? In this pregnancy? Yeah, that, that other people who are in the similar shoes, mm -hmm. of, you know, maybe just about to have a baby or just mm -hmm. got pregnant. Or having thoughts mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. that they could be like more aware of. Um, I mean, I think it was more of just like I don't know that I had shame about talking about anything in particular. It was mostly just that fear that 
Well, probably that, like, if you if you talk about it a lot, then it's it's really real, and mm-hmm. that, um, and you know, you're basically saying it's going to happen, and, and that's not a guarantee. And there are, you know, that's there's no guarantee there. Um, but I think even kind of in addition, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, it's wow. like it's almost like going back to that first question you asked me, which was where I'm I'm like thinking through right now is like. It's, it's when you speak truth to it, it's, there's hope, right? Like oh, there's yeah. this hope that is coming up, which is interesting that that's like circular there. But um, I think, you know, there's that, but I also am just somebody who's really curious. And I also, and I had lots of things I wanted, like just questions. And um, you're also suddenly, for me at least, I was suddenly faced with this idea of like, you know, being responsible for this other life very quickly very suddenly one day you're not and one day the next day you are mm-hmm. which is super bizarre um but that it just happens and then you're like well okay so now I, now every choice I make even if it's not like that different but like every choice I'm making isn't just about me anymore and so um there's lots of googling that happens which I'm not super recommending <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's lots of like I had to like limit myself to you know, two minute Google searches. Like if I really needed to look up something, I'd cut it off after two minutes because otherwise you're going to go down the black hole. But like, you know, making choices about how much you're sleeping or what you're eating or, you know, if you can drink alcohol or not, like, or should I drink coffee or what if, you know, what if I have this feeling, like, what does it mean? And there's just so many things happening and it's, they're all so small, Uh like that any one of them on their own wouldn't be worth mentioning to other people, <laughs> but mm. all of them happening to in your brain like constantly feels like it's the most distracting thing. <laughs> um, and so I think that was more of like, it, again, just coming back to the idea of like I didn't want to keep a secret, but I felt like I was supposed to, but I had all of these things like constantly like swimming in my brain. Um, I think it was just a very challenging. And then eventually, you know, as I – progressed and things were looking good and normal in the pregnancy like I shared earlier than you know the 12 weeks with some with people especially coworkers, especially mm-hmm. people on my team um and so at least I had that space to be like oh my gosh this one thing you know <laughs> or like asking these questions or you know just talking through it which was helpful what are the what are the different skills that you think were born out of this experience I've always been curious you know when, when especially like the work that you do with a lot of foster youth and, and people who didn't have the type of upbringings that you might have had or other people. And I've always tried to understand, well, despite of the adversity that happened to you, what are the lessons that you got out of it? So in this case, what I'm hearing is a lot of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I mean, just being cautious of influences, influencers, yeah. and always, okay, how is this going to impact the future of myself? Um, Collective sounds like you went from, and maybe you thought about it this way before, from thinking about yourself yeah. and your husband to now it's a collective. Yeah. How do we think for the three of us instead of just mm-hmm. party A, party B, now mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. party A, B, C. Yeah. Type of thing. It's very different. Um, yeah, and I think that that very much, is that the last one you mentioned for sure is a skill that mm-hmm. uh, we're still learning and we will continue to learn probably for the next, for the rest of our lives. Um, but how do you honor, you know, yourselves as individuals and also our son as as an individual and also as a group, Mm -hmm. right? Like we, you know, and and that's a thing. Um, and again, thinking back about like 
our individual experiences and our like families of origin and choices that we make that are different from our families of origin um, that we try to be very thoughtful about and also intentional about. We make a lot of choices very different than <laughs> as a lot of people do. Um, and so how do you honor where we came from? But, and because those things made us who we are, but also try to set him up to be at a place where he doesn't have to come over, overcome adversity necessarily mm. in order to get that same result in terms of just like the values and the, you know, the things that we care about. And, um, that's a, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, we're still figuring that out. How, uh, yeah. how much would you say of your family history mm-hmm. carries over into your life and your decision making? You you said uh, you know kind of just dude. like <laughs> going back and, and yeah. you know, relying on certain things that were brought through your family yeah. and passing that on. Like how much of that would you say is still from them, yeah. and then how much of that is just from you? I think we're in a place where my actions are from me, but I think that the filter they go through, like, mm. in order to get to that place, they have to, like, yeah. filter through me from that experience, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah. It's like, um, and it's much less than, much less than it was, I guess, you know, probably even five or ten years ago for sure, but um, there's a lot of, like, you know, recognizing and going, you know, the idea of self-awareness, like recognizing, okay, I'm having a trauma response right now, or I'm having this response because I imagine, you know, or my family, this is what would be happening. Right. Um, and that's much less frequent than it was again, five or 10 years ago, <laughs> even that's been built upon. Um, but the, the fact is, is that my family of origin still is in my life. Right. right. And so there's those patterns and things that they have not chosen to change are still there and uh-huh. in some positive ways like there's some really positive interactions that we can have and that my son will be privy to and then there's some very different much less healthy yeah. yeah um much less healthy kind of behaviors that that um he'll also be exposed to uh-huh. and so um so it is kind of layered because it's like some of it is my like some of the, my experience like filtered through me and some of it is that he will have access to that raw data <laughs> like that will be um he will see it in the, in those ways too and so um i don't know if that fully like that's a big question but i i do think it it's something i think about a lot is like how do i honor the experience and the things that people have done for me out of love and care and also just like i believe about people that i work with day to day like everyone was is and was and is doing the best that they can and so uh-huh. um not trying to be bitter or agitated or angry about what that you know looks like and i'm sure it's something that comes up in your story as well it's just like oh, yeah. how do you how do you honor people which doing- parts do you translate I, I think for me the challenge is it's it's always looking back at especially the people that have had great influence on you mm-hmm. in my case i mean it's my sixth grade teacher who taught me mm-hmm. literally english and how to read and had he not done that, I probably would not be having yeah. this conversation with you right now. Yeah. At least not in this I, language. Yeah. And, and I don't speak. So. <laughs> but it's it's those things that always make me want to step back and really understand, well, what part of him do I carry yeah. into my, my life? Yeah. And then from there, which parts do I give to others? Yeah. You know, What do I tell them um, mm-hmm. without just taking that whole experience and saying, mm-hmm. okay, here's... Here's a call in a nutshell, and you yeah. take whatever you want. That's always the challenge, right. I think, especially for the youth that you work with on a daily basis. 
is you probably have to break down, okay, these are the influencers that you've had in your mm-hmm. life. What parts of, of them do yeah. you carry with you? And yeah. then what parts of them do you have to let go? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's probably a tough decision for them to, to make as yeah. well. It's like, because in most cases, it's their parental figures. I mean, it's the yeah. closest things that they've had yeah. in lives. Yeah. So just making that choice. Yeah, and I think there's a big thing that I always try to do in those situations too when I'm working with youth especially is like normalizing that to some extent, right? Is like even, you know, obviously it is a much more profound decision for our youth and it probably is much more far-reaching for the, the young people that we work with mm-hmm. um, to make those, like to sever those things and to also take on those things just because of the hugeness of the experience or the situation or the challenge um or you know the tragedy or whatever the situation is but all of us have to do that to some extent um you know no matter what and even people who choose to like live in their parents footsteps exactly and like do you know believe that everything that their parents done have done is absolutely correct they're still making they still have to like Make conscious choices they have to about think it, about yeah. that and mm-hmm. yeah and it, and it has to come to, su- to surface at some point um and so there's nothing inherently unique about that completely um however you have there's endless possibilities about which Absolutely. pieces you'll take on and which pieces you'll leave um which you know i think to like complete that circle though is something i also am trying to think about is like for our son like and we'll joke about it with my, you know, my husband. Like, what is he going to look at back? I'd be like, are you guys kidding me? You guys did this. Or, like, you made that <laughs> choice. Or you thought this was okay, you know. And um, I'm hoping that we <laughs> raise a, well, a well-rounded person who we am, and we have the kind of relationship where we can kind of laugh about it and be like, yep, we, that was dumb, right? Like, that wasn't what we should have done. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, can we, you know, would you be willing to hear, like, what our thought process was? Because we'd love to share that with you. Like, that kind of thing. Um, I hope that's the kind of relationship that we cultivate, but it is like, I know he's going to have it too. Like he's going to experience that for sure. Uh-huh. I have no idea what the thing will be. <laughs> and I would love to get, be able to get ahead of it, but whatever, it's fine. Um, you just have to wait and see. You just have to wait. And you know, cause that depends on like who he is too. And there's so many things about who he's going to be and who he is already that I just don't, I don't know, which is very cool. And also mm-hmm. really shocking. Um, because it feels like, and I think a lot of parents make the assumption that they do know their child fully. Mm. Um, well, and that you, goes a lot of places, right? I was going to say, what do you think the dangers of something like that would be? I mean, in my mind, what I'm thinking of, and obviously I'm not a parent, is that... I only have parents. <laughs> is that I think when you make the assumption that you know everything, it stops the curiosity. Yeah. And it stops you from maybe even having certain conversations and questions. Yeah. Which I think that's, yeah, that's one way for sure. I wasn't even initially thinking that, but it definitely is very wounding to have a, any close relationship, but especially I think a parental figure. Yeah. Stop expressing curiosity about who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe even never express curiosity, but especially to like abruptly stop because they feel like they've, they've learned all there is to learn or they know all there is to know. Um but I also think that there's this danger in, you know, from a kind of more clinical perspective of just applying their own experiences to that person um, and assuming it's almost like to take the, the lack of curiosity a step further and to assume that, like, 
but whatever I did is what you're going to do for mm. better or for worse, right? So maybe if I made a really bad choice around this thing when I was your age, I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to assume that you've already done it. Um, and I'm going to assume that you've done it and thought about it the way that I did. Uh-huh. Um, and there's no authenticity in that relationship because you're just, again, making that's so many assumptions can happen so quickly in, those, in that span of time. Um, but it's also a superhuman thing to do. Like, it's a very human reaction to project our own experiences onto people. Like, that's a thing that is how we learn about the world to some extent. And correcting that is how we learn about the world. But um, I think a lot of people don't ever do that work to actually stop and say, you know what, I'm actually having a reflection about what I did when I was 12 or 15 or whatever, um, and not listening to you tell me your story about what oh, what, what this is like right now. Um, and so I think it's probably just like what you're saying, and, and just like a lot of missed opportunities to yeah. connect, which if you're not looking for that from your child or from your family, I think you're going to miss out on a lot of the really sweet things about life and really, hopefully, fun things, too, because... Yeah. People are fun to get to know. Absolutely. <laughs> it's funny it's funny that you say that. Yesterday I was asked a question by a friend of mine and she said she was talking about my birth mom and the question was how I think my birth mom's role and experience impacted my life mm-hmm. and relationship with other females. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and then the question beyond that was she said, How do you think her projections or how did I project my birth mom's experience onto my adopted mom? Yeah. And I never Which even is, thought about it that way. Just, yeah. But the fact that you just said, you know, projecting like yeah. one's own experience onto the other person, I just took a step back and I was like, I have no idea. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way. Cause a lot of the actions and thoughts that you have over time. And that's why it's so important to not only stay curious, but, develop that self-awareness yeah. and really think about it like why am I doing this mm-hmm. where is that thought coming from for me in that particular field I I think it was almost like automated yeah yeah never really thought about it well but that was the only option that there was probably right exactly to some extent, like exactly like this figure to this figure I only know this like one-dimensionally um and to some to some extent at a young age especially and I know like for me one of the biggest challenges was you know when I came here and my mom um, made this comment when I was in school the person the people that I connected with the most were female mm-hmm. role models mm-hmm. and it made me think like why did I do that mm-hmm. and we started to break it down and we looked at you know how the city was composed at the time mm-hmm. in Russia a lot of them were female models um, there were no role models like in stores or anywhere and I think the assumption was that there was you know alcohol was big problem there so but it, it knowing what I know now from that question yesterday I started to think could it be possible because that's what my mom wants that's what it was. Yeah. and that's what I was looking for just different elements of her mm-hmm. in other people and then that's how that connection was being built yeah. with every person yeah based on like your other figures in life yeah which I think definitely speaks to Again, something that came up when we were talking last time, just this idea of, like, that desire to continuously connect back to mm-hmm. a place where we have felt like we, we, where we belong. But mm-hmm. often, if it was a, you know, a family of origin that maybe we didn't belong, trying to repair that, mm-hmm. like, constantly. So finding, you know, it's, I, 
I think it's probably super possible that you were looking for something. Um, yeah, that you was found good. elements of her in someone else and you could have yeah. a restorative relationship or reparative experience with them. It's like putting pieces back together in small ways that eventually, theoretically, to a child's mind or even a person's mind, just over time would build you back into who you wanted to be, you know? And I think huh. that's, I think that's what a lot of us are, are looking for with a lot of our actions and a lot of the people that we see, but on, but most specifically probably the people that you seek, like, you know, what elements of, of this do I need to have a repair in? Um, I didn't even think about it this way, but you know, what this makes me think of is the more you connect with people, the more you are able to complete mm -hmm. that person that's missing. Mm -hmm. So if you've had if you've had a figure in your life who did not show X, Y, and Z, and then you're connecting with other people through through that person while trying to fulfill those gaps mm -hmm. of X, Y, and Z, and then that mm -hmm. goal that you have is like, okay, maybe at the end of the day I'll complete mm -hmm. that figure. Yeah. I think it's, and then just like that curiosity of like, what would that figure look like? Yeah. You know, when you have the complete, complete puzzle, like. What would it have been? What would it have been? Yeah. How different would, would my experience have been? Yeah. And that's, you know, part of like, very rarely do I think it gets articulated that way. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, or that clearly. But I think, you know, it, it kind of just resonates that idea of even if you could craft this repair enough to have this like fictional person yes. that never maybe existed in the real world but knowing that potentially that person could become that eventually mm. right like and that idea that people can change and that there is hope for change and that people can make different choices um and that you also don't need them to be there in that space in order for you to find healing or safety huh. or whatever right like you didn't your mom could still be making the same choices she's made for the last 20 years. Yeah. Couldn't have changed at all. But you can still heal, and she can still make choices different if she wants, right? And she can still get there. Um, and you don't need her to be there to heal, which is, I think, as adult children of any kind of um, – well, anyone probably has adult children, period, but especially people with um, any kind of challenges or, you know, mental illness or, or addiction, like, I think that's what we need to realize is, like, we can heal and also allow someone else to heal while recognizing that there may be limits to where they are right now. And that Interesting. That's, that's okay. And that uh -huh. that's their experience. No matter how much that hurts or how sad that is or how hard that is, that that's still okay. Um they still get to exist in the world. We still, you know, we still want to try to love them the way that we could and, and those kinds of things. But um, I think that's something that a lot of people in their personal work don't get to because it's so painful to think that I have to change before, especially a parent figure uh -huh. changes <laughs> um, in order to heal. Cause that's like a very counterintuitive process because you think one follows the other and the yeah. child would follow the parent. Right. Yeah. But that's not, Spoiler alert. <laughs> like, here to tell you it's not how it always happens. Um, but that it can. It can still, like, you know, they can still make different choices eventually. I didn't think about it this way, but, and I don't think I'm the only one in life that goes through this process of creating fictional characters <laughs> that are with perfect pieces and combinations. But it, it just makes me think of 
how much of this life is just all about experiencing and you are spot on it is it is about connecting with people you know for me it's that's that's how i've de- i've determined my life and that is live from who you are and where you are and then connect with other people around you who are in similar places mm-hmm. and those that aren't i mean maybe it's your job to help them mm-hmm. get to that point yeah. help them find that hope that yeah. healing and just a greater understanding you know you have an entirely unique and a different path in life that compared to mm-hmm. me and ever, anyone else that's ever listening or come across, they're taking a different journey. Yeah. Um, so I think just helping them get to that point of understanding of here's my experience and here's what it's like to be X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. and not judging others for that. Yeah. It's critical. It's huge. Yeah. I think that's that's the biggest lesson I think any maybe any of us can learn is just like wherever anybody is, there's no reason to judge. Right. Like it's, you know, that's, that's where they are. And, you know, I hope that they have some awareness around it. And I hope they have some self-awareness around awareness that they want to go. Not because uh-huh. I want them to like think that they're bad or wrong, <laughs> but because I want them to get to go where they want to go yeah. and to have some autonomy in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a really hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. I think oh, that you like just, you know, to suspend judgment and, you know, also speak what is real for you and say it with honesty and also stand up for the things you care about and that you believe in and um, expect that same respect from other people. Yeah. The, you know, what this whole episode makes me think of is a conversation I had with my uncle. And we're talking about how when you look through history and, you know, we're able to identify how language first started mm-hmm. and how that impacted people. But I think one of the the hard things to understand is how did belief start? I mean, how do we how did we yeah. develop this concept that tomorrow is going to better than be better than today? Yeah. I mean, we literally believe mm-hmm. that to the core mm-hmm. that somehow next hour mm-hmm. is going to better be better than the hour now. Well, mm-hmm. the reality is that that hour could be worse, mm-hmm. could be the same exact hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or it could be better. Yeah. But yet we, the fallback is that it's always going to be better. Mm-hmm. So, going back to that hope, mm-hmm. you know, how do you, how do we, how do you like? Is there, is there a way that you can conceptualize that to other people where that's somehow true, and yeah. and how do we develop that? Yeah. And continue to believe that the, yeah. that tomorrow is going to be better than today. Yeah, I mean... I but tomorrow is also not guaranteed. Yeah, I, I think that's that's also where... That's kind of the blessing and the curse of that idea, is uh-huh. that tomorrow's not guaranteed. And so, if it's not guaranteed, you know, I have no choice but to hope for better, mm. right? Like, if, it's, if I can't promise you, I can't tell you what it is, yeah. there's no benefit to me in this moment to believe anything else other than that it's going to be better. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it's like this. I mean, you know, it makes me just think about like this. Again, optimism, especially like Western optimism. Like, there, I think, you know, I think about American, like, just like that idea, like the American dream, which I hate that term. I even hate that I just said that. But it's like this idea um, that is, you know, when I look at our history overall, I'm like, yeah, that's not, 
the real thing for most people. But yeah. there is something about when you look at like our economic patterns and our and our political trends that clearly people are operating out of that perspective, uh-huh. <laughs> or we wouldn't have been where we have been, or we wouldn't be going where we're going. But it's very rare that that's you know really what people's experience is, just because it's it's rare to have that. I think um, to some extent in a very large scale way anyway, but like, but I think the idea is just that if, if that's not true, then why would anyone be trying and how, how could I keep trying, um, if I didn't at least somehow believe that. So it's like a weird evolutionary thing. <laughs> like maybe we have like, it's like their evolutionary beliefs, like uh-huh. things that have kept I've us like been, alive or, you I've know, I don't know. I've just always been curious about that. Like, how does that really happen? Question. How do, how do we... You look at, I mean, all the generations and the information that gets passed down from one to the other. Yeah. How does this one go from one to the other, and yet very rarely do we stop even question, why is that even true? Yeah. Why do we believe that tomorrow is going to be better than today, and what's wrong with today? Yeah, (laughs) and I think that's a really good question to ask, too, is like, you know, why does it have to be better? Yeah, like, can we find something today that's also really powerful and really good? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, and that's maybe why that hits on the, the essence of why I don't like that idea of the American dream is because I want also to people, for people to be in their present and for myself to be in the mm. present and to experience like, yeah, today's pretty good. Like, this is, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I'm kind of tired and I was like, had <laughs> its moments, but like, a pretty good day. I got to do some, some cool stuff today and I think... Mm-hmm. Um, easy to forget that mm-hmm. when we're constantly pushing moving forward yeah, yeah. final thought for yeah. this episode and that is who or what are you grateful for today? oh I love this question um yeah I mean I think I'm just I'm really grateful for my husband today I think just like talking about that experience of meeting him and, and seeing, you know, I think I just, I don't often get to think about that. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. very rare that you have someone sit down and ask you these kinds of questions. Um, but I, you know, I think about just the things that led us into each other's lives and also how we've grown together and how we've changed together. And I, I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, I know that that's not always, it's not always a smooth process for people and doesn't always go super well I think in our case it has and I'm really grateful that he works really hard to make sure that we're growing together and you know I think we both do but um yeah I'm also just really grateful for the work that I get to do I think that's that's what this conversation makes me think about too Uh uh-huh yeah regarding your husband if you were given one word to describe him what would that word be oh consistent consistent yeah the most consistent human alive, <laughs> like just from day to day, situation to situation, like emotionally consistent, completely just like available and, and you know, in all really positive ways, but like you know, you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a rare quality, actually, <laughs> um, but one that is provides a lot of safety in a person. Uh huh. How do people find you? How do people stay in touch with your work? And what are some of the things that you have, you know, coming up that people can experience? Oh, ooh, ooh. Um, loaded question. Yeah, I was like, I mean, I, I want to be like, follow my blog. I don't have a blog. Come on, guys, I don't have time for that. Um, but I, 
Uh, I mean, I'm, I am on Instagram. I'm at, oh, God, I don't even remember my Instagram account. That's really mm-hmm. funny. I'm going to have to look it up. That's embarrassing. I think it's... It's all good. We'll find we'll really find you. funny. Yeah, I'm on there. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you want to link to that. Uh, what, are those, what are some of the things yeah. that you have coming up through LifeWorks? Through work? That people Ooh. can... Boy. Enjoying. Well, we are ending youth homelessness in Austin by 2020. Apparently, uh-huh. that's one mission that LifeWorks has taken on. So, um, definitely LifeWorks, uh, LifeWorksAustin.org is where you can find um, information about our programs, what we provide. Um, obviously, providing support to youth experiencing homelessness or coming out of the foster care system uh, or, you know, people who are young parents. Um, we also provide counseling and education and workforce um, and housing, obviously, for youth. So we have a lot of different kinds of programs. Uh-huh. Uh, but really, our main, our big passion and our big drive right now is, is ending youth homelessness in Austin by 2020. So uh-huh. stay tuned for that. I do work on the research team here, so there will be some publications and things like that, hopefully, that we're going to be turning out in the next few years, too. This is a loaded question. Cool. But... <laughs> What does that actually mean? You could like break it down to, yeah. you know, how do you, how, how do you quantify you, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, essentially ending youth homelessness is making it, um, brief, rare, and non-recurrent. So if a young person were to find themselves in a situation where they were, um, without a house or without a home, um, unhoused would be that they would find that only for a brief period of time, hopefully. And is that no determined than, by... A percentage, I'm assuming. Um, how, how do you guys measure that? What what defines brief, rare? Yeah, so uh, rare is basically that it's across the city. It's not happening more than certain instances, and I don't know okay. the numbers there. Okay. Brief would be that it's less than, I mean, that it's as short as possible. Okay. Days, weeks, not months, years, obviously. Um, and then non-recurrent, meaning that if you have an instance of homelessness, that it would only be the one time, and that we would be able to provide you with um, support and programs and things that you need in order to make it so that you're not returning into that after Got a it. certain level of experience of, of um, services. So, yeah, we have a lot of So help. do you guys provide services beyond that? Like, you, you get them out of the situation? I'm assuming the next thing is helping them acquire skills so they don't fall back. Yeah, to that so that's a big, a big part of it, right, is um, unlearning the, you know, skills that maybe we're working when we're in those situations, um, mm-hmm. and not maybe not unlearning, but using those skills for in other ways, <laughs> um, and and really learning, you know, what it is that they want and how to provide and build motivation to help them get there, um, and then and yeah, it's really about a lot of it's about community support and social support. Um, so we have a huge team of peer supporters that help us um, connect with our youth, and you know, these are people with lived experience with the same. Um, their staff, but they have lived experience, and so they provide a very different level and type of support than um, maybe somebody who's seen as, like, just strictly a service provider can, mm. um, and that's a huge part of, you know, just that healing process. I always say it's, like, I mean, it's a huge transition to come, to go from oh, yeah. house to house, right? Um, and, like, any other big transition in your life, like, your emotions about that are not singular. You're not going to just be excited. You may be excited, but you're also probably going to be really scared or really concerned, yeah, yeah, concerned or feeling kind of guilty, like you're leaving, you know, or really guilty leaving family or friends, you know, or, or whatever else. Um, but also maybe it's, you know, there might be grief there about like, 
this identity you had, right? So it's all these complicated things that can really emerge uh, once somebody gets housed. And so a lot of our work is, is providing ongoing support through a variety of, of types of programming mm-hmm. um, as somebody walks through that entire experience. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing and being such a phenomenal guest. <laughs> thank you for having I mean, me. You definitely, I, I walking away a better person knowing <laughs> Seriously, I, I didn't know a lot of the things that you spoke of and just how, how you're viewed. And so it's making me be a lot more open-minded when I come across situations like that. Well, thank you. And instead yeah. of just having these questions in my mind, well, how, what are they feeling like? Now I at least have a perspective yeah. Yeah. of That's your story. Awesome. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of the latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week.